today I'm excited. We're going to continue uh, our series entitled Christmas Carols, and we have been kind of working through uh, some of what may be some of the most famous Christmas carols of the year, and just talking really from those stories, the message of the gospel. And what I love about Christmas carols is, as I've said this almost every week, that I believe that Christmas carols declare the most monumental event that ever happened in the history of the earth, and that is the birth of Jesus Christ. That was the crowning pinnacle uh, of God's uh, redemption upon humanity uh, as he sent his son wrapped in flesh. The son of God became man uh, so that mankind could become the sons and the daughters of God. So let me just give you a little note right here. I don't think it's on your outline, but you can look with me on the screen. Uh, so today's carol is called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, and uh, what is awesome about this carol, it was written by Charles Wesley, uh, who is the brother of John Wesley, and uh, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, uh, and Charles Wesley, his brother, worked with him. He wrote 6,500 hymns in his lifetime. Uh, he wrote his first hymn at the age of 31. He was born again and uh, converted to Christ uh, at age 31, and he died when he was 80 years old. That means that he wrote an average of 132 songs a year. Think about that. 132 songs a year. And when I read that, I just kind of thought to myself that we ought to get it in gear. Amen? I mean, we're slacking a little bit, right? 132 songs a year, 6,500 hymns he wrote in his lifetime. And it really just encouraged me of something. It encouraged me in the reality that here is Charles Wesley, who is dead and gone, uh, and yet today in Arab, Alabama, in Holly Pond, Alabama, across the nations of the world today, we're still singing his songs. Amen? We're still declaring the message of the gospel that he down as a born-again believer with a heart for God. And here's what I want to encourage you in this morning. I want to encourage you in the fact that what you do today matters. That what you do today, I'm just going to say this to you. Charles Wesley had no idea that we would still be singing his songs this many years after his death. He had no idea that as he was expressing his heart for Christ through worship, that somehow those songs would live on longer than he lived and touch the hearts and lives of people many, many, many years later. And so I want to just encourage you today. Your life today matters. What you do today matters. Amen? Because your actions today have the opportunity to outlive you. Come on, somebody. That's good news. Your actions today have the potential and the opportunity to outlive you. And when you touch a heart and a life for Jesus, guess what happens? You also touch a life for eternity. And there's an eternal investment that we get to make as we share the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So let's look at that first line uh, in the song, Heart the Herald Angels Sing. It says, Heart the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Amen? So look with me in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to reread the Christmas story from Luke's account, starting in the seventh verse. The Bible says, speaking of Mary, that she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a babe wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. 
So look at that next point on your outline. So this carol reminds us of something. This, this carol, just to be honest with you, is packed jam full of some amazing truths of Scripture. But as I was studying and looking at the carol and just praying, the Holy Spirit really just focused in on one little key phrase. So this carol reminds us that one of the greatest truths about Christmas is that God and sinners are reconciled. It is the reconciliation of God and sinners. It is me and you being reconciled and brought back into the favor and the fellowship of the Father. This is, I believe, we're going to see today one of the greatest foundational truths of the gospel. And we're going to kind of dive down a little bit today because I believe maybe you're going to see something today about the work of reconciliation that maybe you've never connected the dots. Maybe you've never fully understood what it means for me and you to be reconciled through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ, because what I'm going to share with you today, I believe, is a hidden mystery that's been laid out in plain sight that the modern church has not fully grasped hold of, because when you grab hold of the truth of reconciliation, I'm just going to tell you something, it's going to stoke a fire of God on the inside of you to tell others about what Jesus Christ has fully and completely done for us. Amen. So let's look at this thing today. So God and sinners are reconciled. Christmas is a divine act of reconciliation. God was in Christ settling the debt of our sin, literally reconciling our spiritual account with God. Now the word reconciliation really has two expressions uh, of the word. The first expression, which is really the foundational expression, is the word reconciliation is really an accounting term. So if you're a CPA or you're an accountant type and you like to crunch numbers, if you're Stephen who's an accountant, you'd probably appreciate this because to reconcile uh, means to settle the accounts and to bring, bring to a place of equality. And uh, how many of you, uh, how many of you still have a checkbook? Any checkbook folks in the house today? Uh, if you're like my kids, a lot of them uh, don't always have checkbooks. Samantha, you got a checkbook? Y'all surprised me. I, I didn't think y'all had a checkbook, so that's awesome. Maybe you're watching online. I hope you got a checkbook. Maybe you don't. I know a lot of people don't have them today. But here's what, here's what you, if you have a checkbook, you probably understand this statement. You ever heard somebody say, you need to reconcile your checkbook? You need to reconcile your checkbook to your banking statement. You need to make sure that the checks that you've written and the banks that have, the checks that have cleared the bank have settled, have equaled out because if there's, if there's not an equality or a settling of those accounts, then there's probably something wrong. Amen? And so here's the realization I want you to see. The word reconciled means to settle the account. And all of a sudden, we're going to recognize today that what Jesus did through his death, through his life, and through the resurrection is that Jesus reconciled our account. We had a debt called sin that we could not pay, and Jesus reconciled that. He settled the accounts and brought us into a place of right standing with the Father. Now, the second expression of the word reconciliation is simply this. To be reconciled means to settle the accounts, but it also means to restore the relationship. Now, I don't know if you've ever loaned a family member or a friend money. Uh, I'm not going to say that I highly recommend it, but if you've ever loaned a family member or a friend money, uh, you know automatically when that happens, it almost immediately puts a little strain on the relationship. But things aren't really bad until they stop paying you back, right? And the moment that they owe you money and they stop paying you the money they owe you, guess what happens? Debt has an amazing way of disconnecting relationship. And the moment they can't pay you what they owe you, you know what they're going to do? They're going to avoid you. 
correct? I see a little heads nodding out there. The moment they can't pay you what they owe you, they're going to avoid you. Why? Because debt affects relationship. So what we're going to see today is that through reconciliation, Jesus being born in the flesh, he was reconciling, selling our debt of sin and bringing us into a place where we could be restored and reconciled, not just spiritually, but relationally into a place of intimacy with God. And we're going to also see that as a result of that reconciliation, we get to receive what the Bible calls the gift of righteousness that is imparted into our lives, not as a result of our works, but completely as a result of what Jesus has done for us. And this is some pretty good news, guys. Amen? So look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I love that little statement. If one died for all, then all should live for the one. Amen? If one man died for all men, then all men should live for the one man that died for them and again come on somebody if one died for all then all should live for the one look what he says in verse 16 he says therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh even though we have known Christ according to the flesh yet now we know him thus no longer look at verse 17 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation old things have passed away and behold all things have become New. Let me just stop there for a second because the goal of Christianity is not to make a better version of you. The goal of Christianity is to transform you into a brand new person that you've never been before. See, the world does not need a 2.0 version of Keith Hodges. And the world does not need an updated version of you. Jesus did not come and live and die and rise again so that bad men could become good men or so that good men could become better men. Jesus came in flesh, died on a cross, rose again on the third day so he could reconcile us and bring us into a place of righteousness so that we could not only just become a better person, but we could literally become a brand new person and be born again into the image and likeness of a holy God. There's a little song, a guy named Jimmy Reeves. He's a local uh, artist here in Arab, and he wrote a song years ago called Bullfrogs and Butterflies. And it simply says this, Bullfrogs and Butterflies, they have both been born again. Bullfrogs and butterflies, think about that. Think about that caterpillar being transformed into that butterfly. It literally becomes something it has never been before. Not an updated version, not a better version, literally a new creation. Literally, science has proven that the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly, every cell in the caterpillar's body literally changes and becomes brand new. That is what happens when you get born again. That is the fruit of righteousness that comes through reconciliation that Jesus has offered us because he was willing to come and die for our sins. It's a beautiful thing. 
And let me tell you something that's amazing about this. I was just reading and thinking this week and praying over these thoughts. And, and, and I read something by C.S. Lewis that kind of triggered a thought in my mind. And, and he made something along these lines. He said, he said that when you live in sin, you live a carbon copy life. Think about that. When you live in sin, sin creates a carbon copy of itself in every person that it infects. Let's just think about a couple, kind of what we might consider the big sins. Let's think about addiction for a minute. If a person is bound by addiction, guess what? Everybody in addiction walks alike, talks alike, thinks alike, and lives alike. There may be different levels, right? You may have the, you may have the professional addict, and then you may have the homeless addict. But the reality is they're all thinking the same thing. They're all living the same life. They're all pursuing the same thing. They're just a carbon copy of one another. Think about perversion. We live in a world right now where there is so much sexual perversion. And when you think about sexual immorality and sexual perversion in our world today, think about this. Every person bound by sexual immorality and sexual perversion is living the same life. Same lust, same thoughts, same desires, same passions, same drive. They're being driven and moved and motivated all by the same thing. Let's think about something maybe a little, little closer on. Let's just think about greed for just a minute. Think about the love of money. And sometimes when you talk about greed, people automatically think of rich people. I'm just going to tell you something. I know a lot of poor people that are greedy. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. Many times rich people aren't greedy because they figured out what money is. It's a tool. <laughs> but when you think about greed, people that are bound by that love of money, by greed, they all think the same thing. They all pursue the same thing. They all live the same way. They're all driven by the same desires. And here's what's crazy about sin. When you're bound in sin and you're living in that carbon copy life, you ever hear somebody boast, I'm my own man, nobody tells me what to do. And then you look at them and they're living the same carbon copy life of everybody else that's bound by that same sin. But they are so deceived and blinded by their own sin, they can't recognize that they're being manipulated by the choices and decisions of their past that have now become the masters of their present and their future. But something happened. Something happens through reconciliation. Something happens when the debt of your sin is settled and you are brought to a place where you're restored into a right relationship with God and you receive the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says you become old things pass away and behold, all things become new. Let me just say this to you today. The purest, most original version of your life is the righteousness of God manifested in you because it's when you come to Christ and you are born again you become something you've never been before and you become the greatest expression of who God is because every person was created to be an image bearer of the Lord our God and sin mars and defiles and creates carbon, car carbon copies of sin but the gift of righteousness that comes to the reconciliation of Jesus Christ releases the individuality and the original expression of who you were created to be. You know what I love about the church? I love about the church that we're all different. 
I love the unique expressions of Christianity. I love the fact that when people come to Christ, you never really know what fully is going to happen as they continue to blossom in to this person that God has called them to be. And you look at people sometimes. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you looked at me in high school, you'd never said he'd be on the stage preaching the gospel to thousands of people around the world. You said that guy will always be in the back because he can't stand being in front of people. But all of a sudden, when God makes you a new creation, everything in you that was once afraid now becomes excited about the opportunity to tell somebody about the goodness of God that was expressed through his son Jesus Christ and all of a sudden you become an original creation not a carbon copy of sin because it is only through the righteousness of God that is received by the reconciliation of Jesus Christ that you can be who you were really created to be and it's a beautiful thing verse 18 he says, and now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ in his birth, in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. You know what God was doing in Jesus? He was reconciling the world. He was settling the account and restoring the relationship so that the righteousness of God that was intended to be crowned upon you could be deposited in your life so that you could become the fullest expression of who you were created and ordained by God to be. And God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Look at verse 21. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. In him. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Look at that next point on your outline. Jesus became flesh. We miss this, guys. Jesus became flesh so he could take on our sin. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because He had to become sin so He could pay the penalty for our sin. So He could redeem us and reconcile us into a place of right standing with God the Father. God in flesh was not just a unique way to express the glory of the Lord. It was God in flesh that was required so that a sinless man could die for sinful people and reconcile us into a right relationship. With God the Father. Jesus became flesh so he could take on our sin. And then through faith in him we can be reconciled in the spirit and take on his righteousness. To be righteous means to be in right standing with God. It means that our accounts are settled. It means that there is no debt. Let me say it like this. You can't be right with God until your debt is paid. And I want you just to just imagine a set of balances. If you have ever seen the little picture or the statue of Lady Justice, right? She's standing there with a blindfold on her eyes, and she's holding a set of scales or balances in her hand. And that's called the, 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 the scales of justice. And I want you to imagine something. In the genesis of time, Adam was born a perfect man, created in the image of God, with intimate, perfect fellowship with God the Father. And God and Adam were like this. The scales of justice were balanced. The righteousness of God that Adam was intended to walk in was extended to him. He walked with God. He talked with God. He had intimacy with the Father. But when Adam sinned, 
the scale shifted. And all of a sudden, man went from having access and intimacy with God, having his account settled, to now being separated from God. And now living in a place of separation and isolation, disconnected from the only hope of actually becoming the person he was created and called to be. And so we're going to see here in Romans 5, I want you to look with me. We're going to see the fullness of what Jesus did. Because we missed something. We miss something uh, in Romans chapter 5 that Paul explains. We miss the fullness of reconciliation. We miss the fullness of what Jesus really came to do. He came not only to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, but we're going to see something deeper. We're going to drive down. And this is the truth I think most modern Christians are oblivious to. Let's read what Paul said. Romans 5. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And every man and every woman and every boy and every girl to ever be born since Adam was born into sin. And sin brought death. What's crazy about that little thought right there, sin brings death, is that when you get born again, it's so easy to see that. But before you become a new creation in Christ, isn't it amazing how blinded we are to the fact that sin brings death? I mean, when you're lost in your sin, you can't connect the dots that your lying, thieving manipulation is the reason that nobody in your family wants to get along with you. Isn't it amazing that when you're lost in your sin, you can't figure out why everybody's fighting and everybody's fussing and nobody wants to be around you and nobody wants to be your friend and nothing ever goes in your favor and why you're always broke and why you're always disgusted and why you're always on the bottom of the barrel. You can't figure it out. You can't figure out the fact that you're lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, being full of pride, arrogance, and deception. And somehow all of those things are equaling death. But when you're in your sin, you don't even see it. When you're in your sin... You blame the other people. See, to me, one of the greatest revelations of repentance and reconciliation in the heart of a person is they stop pointing their fingers at other people and they start looking in the mirror and saying, I'm the problem. But as long as you're blinded by your sin, you will never take responsibility for your actions because you can't see, you can't even connect the dots that sin brings death, sin brings death, sin brings death. But when you get born again, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how that God opens your eyes and all of a sudden you see that this decision produced death and this decision produced death and this decision produced death and I can't do this and have a healthy marriage and I can't do this and be a godly parent and I can't do this and be an effective Christian and I can't do this and prosper financially and all of a sudden you start connecting the dots because God has now given you new eyes to see and a new heart to receive and new ears to hear because now you're a new creation and you're seeing things you've never seen because you're who you've never been before. See, until you're new, you who you've never been before, you'll never see what you've never seen. There's not enough glasses in the world. Last year for Christmas, Kelly was so excited. I'm colorblind, if you guys don't know it. That's why I always look so cool when I match up here on Sundays. But, but uh, praise God, my wife dresses me. Uh, maybe not today, but yes, yeah, she did dress me today, too. Uh, last year for Christmas, Kelly was so excited. I don't know if y'all saw the ads on Facebook. They had those colorblind glasses. So that's what she bought me for Christmas last year. It was the last thing she had saved it to the very end. And I opened it up, and I saw the glasses, and I put them on, and nothing happened. And she was so disappointed. She was more disappointed than me because she had been anticipating that moment for all that time. Let me just tell you something. You're never going to see the world different. 
You're never going to hear the world different. You're never going to experience the world different until you become different. There's not enough glasses, not enough sex, not enough money, not enough power, not enough anything for you to actually see, experience, and know the world in a different light until you become something you've never been before, and that's a new creation in Christ Jesus. The colorblind glasses, not enough. Amen? Look what the Bible says. Verse 13. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. But still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit command of God as, Moses, as Adam did. And now Adam is a symbol, a representative of Christ who was yet to come. Now, now that's, a, that's a cool phrase. Adam is a symbol. He's a representative of Christ. Jesus is called the second Adam. So the first Adam was a perfect man created in the image of God. Jesus was the Son of God, a perfect man, a, the perfect God who became the perfect man, who died for sinful man. And Adam in the genesis of time was a representation of what was to come. There was going to come another perfect man. But this perfect man named Jesus was not going to commit sin and disobey God. He was going to humble himself even to death and lay his life down as a sacrifice for sin so that the whole world could be saved. Verse 15. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the one man, through the other man, Jesus Christ. And as a result of God's gracious gift, it is different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. Listen to this. But God's free gift leads to us being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. Adam's sin brought condemnation, guilt and shame and condemnation upon every man. Every man, woman, boy and girl on planet earth that has ever lived has lived under the guilt and shame and condemnation of sin because we are guilty, amen? But the gift of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, He has reconciled us and made us right with God. Look what it says. Even though we are guilty of many sins. How many of you know today that if you're here and you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ, not because you're perfect, but because of the gift of God that's been given to you through the reconciliation of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 17, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, Jesus, many will be made righteous. And God's law was given so that people, so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. God did not give us the law to make us righteous. God gave us the law to declare us guilty. The purpose of the law is not to create a standard of righteousness so you can be righteous. The purpose of the law is to show you how sinful you really are and bring you to a place that you need a Savior that can reconcile you and bring you into righteousness with God through faith in His finished work. The law was never given to make us righteous. It was given to declare us 
guilty. That's why you've got to be careful about legalism. Because when you start setting standards of righteousness based on the works of the flesh, you've just undermined the grace of God and the gift of reconciliation that truly does make us righteous. Verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's grace, God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me read that last verse again. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's now, now, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to look at that next point on your outline. I want to break down what we just read in Romans 5. So Adam's sin created a spiritual deficit, a spiritual debt that separated us from God. And all humanity since Adam has been ruled by sin and death. All humanity, every man, woman, boy, and girl since Adam has been ruled by sin and by death. Adam's original sin, listen to this, here's the revelation. Adam's original sin is the debt that Jesus reconciled. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection reconciled all humanity, past, present, and future, And all we have to do is believe and receive Jesus as Lord. Now think about what I just said there. Jesus reconciled us by dealing not just with the debt of our sin. He dealt with the debt of Adam's sin. Romans 5 said that Adam sinned, and because Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and all men were ruled by sin and death. But then the Bible also says that Jesus came, a sinless man who died for sinners. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. So that now, N-O-W, now grace reigns, declaring all men righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about how is it? That when Jesus died and rose again, that his death and resurrection brought salvation for people that had already lived and died before he ever was born. Think about that for a second. How did his death and his resurrection, how did his payment for sin cover those people that had already lived and already died before he was ever born? And have you ever thought about how is it that as a Christian... When you got saved and born again, the the reconciliation of the blood of Jesus Christ, the selling of those accounts, that God forgave you of all the sins of your past, and God forgives you of all the sins of your present, and God has already forgiven you of all the sins of your future. Because how many of you recognize that when you sin as a born-again believer, Jesus doesn't have to die again To cover your sin, let me tell you why. Because when Jesus died, he didn't just die for your sin. He died to settle the debt of Adam's sin. And once he settled Adam's debt, he released grace and righteousness over all humanity. So just as all men, women, boys, and girls have been born under the rule of sin and death, now through Jesus, all men, women, boys, and girls have been given the gift of life and righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 
Woo! I'm telling you guys, that is some good news. When I was working through this this week, I come home, I had to tell Kelly, I said, I know you know it, but I got to tell you anyway. This is so good. Jesus reconciled us to God by settling the account. Adam's sin brought us here. God's holiness is still here. When Jesus died, he reconciled Adam's sin. And when he reconciled Adam's sin, he reconciled all of our sin. Never does he have to die again. In the Old Testament, they offered sacrifices over and over and over again, only covering the sins of yesterday. But Jesus covered the sins of yesterday, today, and forevermore because he settled the account of Adam's sin and brought all people, think about this, all people have been reconciled and brought into a place where they can have right standing with God. So the next thing that has to happen is once you understand that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl has already been reconciled, now by faith, we reconcile the relationship. The debt has been settled. And now by faith, we reconcile the relationship with God. And we receive the righteousness of God that makes us a brand new creation in Christ. So we're not what we used to be. We're something we've never been before. What a beautiful thing that God has done. Romans chapter 8 says this. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Look at that next point on your outline. Doing right, this is huge, guys. Doing right doesn't make you righteous. Doing right does not make you righteous. Being spiritually reconciled to God makes you righteous. Salvation can never be earned. It is a gift that must be received by faith. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 through 26. It says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, listen to this, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Look at verse 26. For he was, a looking, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. That's what Paul is saying. He said, hey, Jesus included everybody back there and everybody up there through his death and resurrection. Because when he reconciled us, he reconciled Adam's sin and brought us into right standing with God. And God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners, he declares sinners, he declares sinners, that's me and you guys, to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Doing right doesn't make you righteous. Hell's going to be full of good people. Hell's going to be full of people better than me and you. More moral than me and you. More integrous 
than me and you. More intelligent than me and you. More educated than me and you. More wealthy than me and you. Hell is going to be filled with a lot of people who did the right things. But doing right doesn't make you righteous. Being reconciled makes you righteous. The debt has been settled. But now the Bible says God makes us right when we believe. The account has been settled for every man and every woman. Isn't it amazing that when I preach the gospel, it doesn't matter who's watching me online. I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you've been. It doesn't matter. You know why? Because the grace of God that brings salvation is available to everyone. And the reason it's available to everyone is because Jesus settled the account of Adam's sin and released the grace of God that brings righteousness to all humanity. And now every man's sin has been reconciled. And now all we have to do is by faith accept the sacrifice so we can receive the righteousness that transforms us into the new creation that God has called us to be. Let me give you our last point. I want you to see this. Just a little reminder, I want you to see this. Remember this, guys. People don't go to hell because of what they've done. People go to hell because they reject what Jesus has done. People don't go to hell because of what they've done. They go to hell because they've rejected what Jesus has done. Because the only way to be righteous is to be reconciled. And this is so good news. See, you don't go to hell because you're a drug addict or an alcoholic or a liar or a thief or an adulterer or a fornicator. You don't go to hell because you're a murderer, and you don't go to hell because you're Hitler. You go to hell because you reject Jesus. Because the, 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 the debt has been settled for every man. Hear me today. Either Jesus' death settled the debt of sin for every man, or he settled the debt of sin for no man. Either his death was sufficient for every sin, for every person, or it wasn't sufficient at all. And people don't go to hell because of what they do. They go to hell because they reject what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 3. We know this first verse, verse 16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. Look at verse 18. And there is no judgment. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him. How many know you can't ever go to debtor's court if you don't have debt? You can't ever be judged guilty once your payment has been made. Look what he says. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But look at the rest of that verse. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. Now listen to this. Why are they judged? They have already been judged. Look at this. For not believing in God's one and only Son. Look at verse 36, John chapter 3. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. And anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment Jesus has already reconciled the world he's already settled the account of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl's sin, past, present, and future it's been settled, it's been reconciled but if you reject the sacrifice 
that Jesus made for your sins, then the only thing left is the judgment of God. There's nothing left. If you reject the sacrifice that Jesus made for your sins, there's nothing left but the judgment of God. Because holiness without the blood of Jesus produces the wrath of God poured out on those who do not believe. I want us to bow our heads today. If you're watching online, I want you just to bow your heads with me right where you're at. Because maybe you're here today and maybe, maybe you've been trusting in the wrong thing. Maybe you've thought that your righteousness comes from your rightness, from your morality, from your integrity, from your generosity, from your goodness. And maybe you're a better man than every man in this room here today. Maybe you're the best person watching us online. I'm just going to tell you something. Your best isn't good enough. Because the standard is perfection. And the Bible says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, the Bible says. No, not one. So what does that mean? It simply means this. We are without hope if we're without Jesus. But He has reconciled us. He has settled the accounts. Not just of your sin. Adam's sin. And all of a sudden, we're now in right standing with God. All of a sudden, our debt has been paid. And we have access to the righteousness of God that comes by faith in Jesus. But we have to believe in and accept Him. Men are made right with God, Paul said, by believing in Jesus. When we accept the sacrifice of His blood for our sin, we are reconciled into a relationship with God. And all of a sudden, we receive the gift of righteousness. And we become a brand new person. So if you're here today or you're watching online and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never really done that. Let me just say today, you're not going to go to hell. Many of you have, have believed a lie and you've been condemned. Many of you have been condemned because you've done this and you've done that. And you feel like you've crossed too many lines. I want to tell you something. There's no line you can cross. The Bible says the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's rejecting the drawing of the Holy Spirit that brings you to accept the sacrifice of God's Son. That's the only unforgivable sin. Why? Because Jesus has already reconciled us. And there's no sin that can keep you out of heaven except the sin of rejecting what Jesus did for you. And if you want to accept Him today, and you want to experience the righteousness of God that makes you a brand new creation, then I want to ask you to do something simple. I want to ask you here today just to raise your hand, just a simple act of faith. If you're watching online, just type in that comment box. I'm raising my hand. If you're on an online platform, just say, I'm raising my hand. Click on that little hand. I'm raising my hand today. I want to accept Christ. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I believe that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus died and he settled the account of my sin so that I could be reconciled to God. And I want to receive the gift of his righteousness and become a brand new creation. I want to be born again. If that's you right now, in person, just raise your hand online. Just say, I'm raising my hand right now. Just say, I'm raising my hand right now. I want to accept Christ. And I want us to pray this prayer together. I want to ask, ask everybody here in person, if you would, just to say this out loud with me. Let's say it together. If you're watching online, say this prayer with me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He reconciled my account. 
and by faith in Him and the finished work on His on the cross, I receive Your forgiveness and I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I commit my life to You. I want to be born again. And I receive it now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. If you prayed that prayer online with us today, there's a link there where you could click on. We want to follow up with you. We want to put some resources in your hand. We want to help you take that next step to follow him. Congratulations. Amen. Welcome to the family. God bless you today. Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. You are dismissed.